Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Today's reading will be Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Alex. Well, we're going to continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you remember, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes up on the mountain And he sits down, and his disciples come to him, and he began to teach them. And what he's going to teach them, and what he has been teaching them as we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, is teaching them to rethink all of life in light of his kingdom, in light of Christ's kingdom. And Jesus wanted his disciples, and he wants us to redirect our hearts towards his kingdom. And at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, we went through the Beatitudes, which Mark finished last week as he preached. And it's really important for us to have these Beatitudes kind of in in the background um, as we go through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. These are really foundational for everything else that we are going to be studying. So they're even foundational to what we're going to be studying this week. I mean, even as Alex read about salt and light, uh, oftentimes this passage can be pulled out and kind of preached on its own, out of, out of context. In fact, I've been guilty in the past of doing that. Like my two points were shake your salt and shine your light. Like let's go get it done. But in context, these come out of this. They come out of what Christ has done in us and the work that, that he has done. And it changes the way we think about how we influence the world. It is really more about the work that he's done in us rather than what we do. So before we jump in the passage, why don't we pray? Father, we've come before you a number of times this morning and we come again. We ask, Lord, to have a fresh picture of Christ, and we ask you to open our eyes to see the world for what it truly is, and that you would show us how we can be an influence in this world that seems to be getting darker and darker. But we trust that Jesus is coming back and that he wants to do a work in us and through us. And we pray in all of it that Jesus would be glorified. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, as we jump into our passage, verse 13 says, you are the salt of the earth. 
You are the salt of the earth. So, okay, there's salt. So, okay, the salt. What kind of salt is it? I mean, salt does some really great things with food, right? So, you know, maybe you're thinking it's, it's seasoned salt. Maybe it's seasoned salt. Or maybe it's just regular salt. Or maybe, you know, you're really into that, that pink Himalayan salt stuff that looks like girl salt or, 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 or whatever. Or maybe it's just, it, it's got to be kosher salt because there's a special salt because we need to season the world. <clears throat> well, Jesus, as he references salt, isn't, isn't referencing in light of what the, the taste that it does. Now, certainly in the, in the first century, salt did have the effect of making food taste good. It's always made food taste good. But in the first century, salt was necessary to preserve food from spoiling. Uh, there was no uh, corporation like Whirlpool in the first century making products that keep food cold so that you can eat it, to keep your food from going rancid. No, you needed to have salt to put on that food, whether it was meat or something else, to keep the food from going bad. So salt has a preserving effect. And before we talk about even what, how we are the salt of the earth, it's, it's helpful to note what, what is the condition of the world. Because if we're having a preserving effect, there, there's a reason we have a preserving effect. It's because the world is not getting better. The world left to itself has this tendency to become putrid or rancid. It becomes foul and offensive. And it's no secret, as Christians look at the morality maybe in our day, we're like, yeah, it doesn't look like it's going in the right direction. But you have to understand, in the secular world, in definitely in various seasons, there's this idea that the world is getting better. I mean, it would have been very apparent during the time of the transition from the 19th to the 20th century. Like back in that time, 120 years ago, there was just this excitement. Things are going to change. Like the industrial revolution is coming and big things are going. Big things are going to be happening. There was this expectation that there would be not only maybe the healing of people from diseases, but maybe even the eradication of all disease. Or maybe that there would become peace in the world and people would, would get along with one another and things seem to be moving in that direction. So there was this expectation. Expectation. I mean, that's even how just the philosophy of, 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 of evolution would, would take shape. Yeah, things are getting better. We started from this thing that wasn't so great, and it's, it's getting better. Everything is getting better. But as we know from history, just looking back on the 20th century, two of the most Massive wars in all of human history happened during that century, not to mention any number of conflicts and civil wars and famine and hunger. And as we know from the last couple of years, obviously disease has not been eradicated. It, it, it's not. The world isn't getting better, even though there seem to be these messages that come up. Well, yeah, things are. If technology can just get better, if the things that we have, medical advancements, if they just get better enough, that things are going to get better. They're not. 
And the fact that the, the world needs a preservative speaks to that reality. And as Christians, we should know that we don't have kind of this special ability to sweeten the world. Like the, the word doesn't say, you are the sugar of the earth. If you find yourselves in, in the best political roles, if you can initiate the, the right laws in place, well, you're going to sweeten the world and it's going to be better. Friends, no political solution will change things. No matter what your political persuasion, it's not going to change things. It, it won't change people's Hearts. The only things that will change people's hearts is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only his kingdom is going to be better. So we start at the place of knowing the world is not getting better. So the world's not getting better, then it, it needs a preservative. And it says, you are the salt of the earth. So we're called to be different because we're called to be an influence. We're called to make a difference in the world. and Because this was the effect of, of salt. One commentator, Philip Keller, wrote, salt was absolutely imperative. Under the high temperatures and hot weather of the region, decay and decomposition of meat was astonishingly rapid. Swarms of ubiquitous flies soon hovered over the butchered carcasses the only way to prevent them from ruining the meat was to soak the slabs of meat in a strong solution of salt. Believers are to have this preserving effect upon the world. As, as Christians display these Beatitudes that we've learned about, they're going to have an effect on the world. You will have an effect on the world. This reminds me of my friend Ed, who was my art teacher in high school. So significant was he in my life that he was stood up with me and with my brother in our weddings. Because Ed was one of the few Christian teachers in the high school that I went to. And probably the only one that was really that outspoken. And, but he had an influence wherever we, he went. Certainly he spoke with words. He shared Christ with people. But that wasn't the thing that had, gave him influence. It was his character and his countenance that went before him. When he would walk in a room, the students would respect him. They would kind of clean up their language. When he would go into the teacher's lounge, and I observed this because I I substitute taught right out of uh, high school as a freshman in college, came back, substitute taught. I was in the teacher's lounge. And there's, you know, lots of things that can happen in a teacher's lounge, particularly when they're all unbelievers. Gossip of, about students and, and about administration and all that. When he would walk into the room, all that would kind of stop. There, there was an effect of his life. Not because of what he demanded or commanded, but because of who he was in Christ. And the effect of his life caused people to be thirsty. Because what happens when you, you eat something that has a bit too much salt on it, right? You get, you get thirsty. 
And so we need to ask ourselves the questions, brothers and sisters, what happens when we are around those who don't know Christ? Do we have an effect on their life? Does does the display of Christ in us cause them to be thirsty for Christ? Because Jesus had that effect. I mean, obviously, Jesus had that effect on people. Not just because he healed people and everybody thought that was cool and they wanted to get healed. Think about the woman at the well. Think about Martha who sat at his feet while Mary was running around crazy. Think about Nicodemus who said, what must I do to be saved? Think about Zacchaeus. There was something about Jesus that drew people to him. And there's something about you and the Christ in you that will draw people to Christ. Now there's, there's a sobering part of this verse. So we are the salt of the earth. It says, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So salt can lose its taste. I mean, if you talk to any any chemistry teacher, they, they would say, you know, salt, salt is a stable compound. Like, salt is salt. You either are, are, are salt or you're not salt. You can't really be unsalt. So what is Jesus talking about? So we can understand what this means from a spiritual standpoint. What it, Jesus isn't getting at, hey, if you find yourself compromised by the world, you can lose your salvation and you're just done. You're just going to get tossed out. No, he's speaking to a reality in the first century that when salt would get mixed with other impurities, it would lose its effectiveness at preserving the meat. And so if it, if it got mixed with other stuff, they did have to toss it out. So Jesus is just speaking to the reality that as Christians, though we are found in Christ, we know that if we are in Christ, nothing can snatch us out of his hand. But there is a reality. We could lose our effectiveness if we allow the world to creep in. That, that can happen. And let, let's not assume that it can't happen to like our church or the church in America. If you just survey the landscape of church history in the last 500 years, the influential, powerful church of of Europe or North Africa is almost non-existent. There are buildings that were built that were grandiose that were meant to point you to God that are empty. And you can look around in, in the U.S. at places you've driven out in the country and seen that building that's falling apart or you've seen a church building that's been turned into a house or a bed and breakfast. You know, many of you are like, oh, that's kind of cool. That is devastating. Because the the place where the gospel was once vibrantly preached is not. So let us be sobered by that reality. And let us be diligent to, to to remain salty. Let's be diligent not to allow the world to creep in. What are the ways that we can do that? I mean, the first way we can do that is pursue Christ. 
It's not so much about pushing out the world, but pressing into Jesus, pressing into these things here. As we delight ourselves in Christ, we are going to be different. The way we look at material goods is going to be different. The way we handle our money is going to be different. The way that we pursue pleasure is going to look different than the world. And the way we do that is pursuing Christ. And as you pursue Christ, you're just going to be salty. You're going to be salty for Christ. So pursue him. Be known first for being a Christian before anything else. Like, not that you aren't involved with other things, but if someone, someone went out and checked out your social media, what would they think you were most passionate about? And I'm not saying that you know, because I'm never, hardly ever on social media. The only thing I do is like like stuff once in a blue moon. I'm not saying you have to be out there and, and posting Bible verses every single day. But what do they see? Would, would they be able to tell that you are a follower of Jesus? When someone interacts with you, would they be able to say that, yeah, the thing that's most important to you is something that I don't understand? Even if you've never told them that you're a Christian, you'd be like, you're different. You're not angry like some of the other people that I have encountered. You don't even gotten bitter like some of the other people that I know. What is it that they see first? Be known for being a Christian. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, one truly saintly man radiates his influence. He will permeate any group in which he happens to be. The trouble is that the salt has lost its saltiness in so many instances, and we are not controlling our fellows uh, by being saints in the way that we should. Though the church makes her great pronouncements about war and politics and other major issues, the average man is not affected. The average man is not affected when we focus on the horizontal solutions. But if you have a man working at a bench who is a true Christian and whose life has been saved and transformed by the Holy Spirit, it does affect others around him. It does affect. It will affect. Be encouraged by that, friends. Be aware that you will have an influence on others around you because of what Jesus has done in your life. Don't think that the influence is gonna come because you've got just the right thing to say. The work that God has done in you will be savory to those outside of the faith. And and thirdly, I think a way we stay salty, or maybe even to say it a harder, maybe negative way, a way that the church has lost its taste is because the salt has not found its way anywhere close to the world. Now, granted, I know we are supposed to live in the world and not of the world, and we don't want to look like the world, but if we don't ever spend time with unbelievers, how in the world is this salt going to get on them? How, how is it going to have its preserving effect? 
if we don't spend time with those who don't know Christ? Ask yourself, when was the last time I had someone at my dinner table, and, and, and I'm not saying at Thanksgiving when family comes in town, because because you're often obligated to be at that dinner table, whether it's yours or someone else's. Saying outside of the times of the holidays where that, that happens, when's the last time that someone who didn't know Jesus ate at your table? When was the last time you were in their house having a meal that they've prepared because you have such a relationship that you would be engaging in that way? Has it happened in the last week? Friends, sometimes the way we lose our saltiness is simply because it's just not in contact with, with the world. And I'm not saying be unwise. Like if you've come out of a place where you struggled with alcohol prior to knowing Christ, I, I don't recommend that you get to know people at the bar, okay? Let's be wise, but let's be out there. Let's be engaging. Go, go with folks in your small group. Have a cookout and invite a couple families from your small group and invite a couple families from your neighborhood. Get involved with various events and things in the community just to be around people because you will have an effect more than you realize. As you direct your heart towards kingdom values Jesus is going to radiate out of you as we see in the following verses. So we see in the following verses, it says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We are the light of Christ. Now, Jesus said this about himself. Jesus, in John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. So oftentimes we're like, yeah, we got, we got a light. Now in the first century, it wasn't a light bulb, right? In the first century, it was likely a lamp where they had oil and they would, they would light the lamp uh, to, have, to have light. And we can be like, yeah, we're, Jesus is the light of the world and we reflect Jesus, but we're not gonna be the light because we really need to be connected to Jesus. If you are connected to Christ, if you're pressing into him and doing your devotions, you're gonna, you're gonna shine all the brighter as, as if we're kind of like one of these uh, you know, toys, these squishy toys. I almost got some as an illustration because they just looked cool. Like they glow in the dark. These little squishy toys, they're stress reliever on your desk. And if, if you get close to the light and then, they, then you take them into the darkness and they glow. That's not the picture here. It's not, it, it, the scripture isn't saying, if you spend this much time in prayer every day, then you will be the light of the world. If you memorize this many Bible verses, well, then you will be the light of the world. No, it says you are the light of the world. Why? Because when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he forgives us of our sins. And he brings us, and he's a part, and we are a part of his family, and he sends his Holy Spirit to be our helper who indwells us. And we become the light of the world. It's because of what Christ has done in us. It says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Because some of you are thinking, you know, I, I got a lot of work to do before I can be effective. 
Jesus already did the work on the cross that is all that's needed to be effective. You're just the conduit in which he's going to do it. You're the light in the world. It says a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I don't know if you've ever seen a city on a hill. Back near where I grew up, there's a city by the name of Alfred that's, that's on a hill. It's not like on top of a hill where there's like a valley all the way around, like maybe Jerusalem is up on the hill, but it's really on the side of a hill. There's a valley, and the only place to build a city is just kind of up the hill. And so when you're driving, you can't miss it. You aren't going to hide it in any way, shape, or form. And you're definitely not going to hide it at night. Because when the lights are on, it's dark. It's dark because the place I grew up is cloudy most of the time. You think it's dark here in the wintertime? You should go back to western New York where I grew up. Like, they call it Dismal Valley. So it's cloudy, it's dark, the hills kind of cloud anything, the sun goes down really quick at night, and it's dark. But you can see that city. You can't hide that city. And friends, you are going to have influence for Christ because of what he has done in you. Don't. Don't think you have to do something special or work something up. Just the fact that he has worked in you is going to have an effect on the world around you because they're watching. You can't hide it because God's done a work in you. You do things differently. I remember my college pastor, when I encountered him for the first time uh, as a new believer and we would interact, he just stuck out to me. He stuck out to me because he did things like speak kindly about his wife. More than kindly, he spoke affectionately. He just was like, couldn't wait to be around her because he loved her so much. And I was like, that's different. I'd never seen that before apart from my friend Ed and the way that he loved his wife. But there was just like, what, what is going on? Just the, the change that God has done in you, people see that. They notice that, so be encouraged by that. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You are gonna shine the light and the way, not by manipulating people or forcing religion on them, but by simply pressing in to Jesus and having him continue to do the work that he began. But the passage goes on. Nor do people light a lamp and put it on, under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. So oftentimes they would have a stand. It wouldn't look like this, but they'd have a light. They'd, they'd trim it and they would put it on a stand in the house. Because in the midst of the house, you know, the rooms that they were in probably were smaller than the rooms of one of these side areas right here. And they couldn't go over and flip the switch because electricity hadn't been figured out yet. And it was dark. And so you put the light on the stand. And when you put the light on the stand, it just gave light to the house. And it made, made the room, it made you be able to see that which was once in the dark. So yeah, sometimes it exposes the dirt that you see there. But you see other things. And it would have been ludicrous to them. So this illustration would have been ludicrous to them. Who would light a lamp and put it under a bushel? I mean, number one, you know, this is 
uh, you know, not very hot and, and nothing's going to happen by leaving this here. But if you stuck a bushel on top of a first century light, um, there'd be a flame going on right now and someone would be running around crazy like a chicken with their head cut off. So to them, this would be like crazy thing. Like, who would do that? Who would take a bushel and put it over? Of course you wouldn't do that. So friends, when you feel the temptation to stay silent about the fact that you've been found in Christ. Let this image stick in your head. that, That doesn't make sense. That's not what's intended. God wants to do something because this, there's, there's something right. Let the, let the pause be there. Something's not right. And yeah, there is a reality. If you let your light shine, it does, it does expose things. I mean, Jesus exposed the sin in, in the life of the religious elite, and they weren't really crazy about it because it, as it exposed the light on them, what happened? They opposed Jesus. Sometimes that exposure of the light is going to be causing persecution to happen. It might. But, but that's why the Beatitudes are so important, right? What did we learn last week? What did Mark tell us? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others persecute you and revile you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. So even as you shine the light, you take the basket off. And when it's coming, that's just like, hey, rewards are coming. I know your senses kind of are freaked out by that. They don't, that doesn't make sense. Persecution, good. But that's what the scripture tells us. That's what Jesus has told us. Because when that opposition comes, they're not opposing you. Don't take it personal. This is in you because Jesus went to the cross. And if they oppose you, they're seeing something in you that they don't have and they don't know and they don't understand. But Jesus has overcome the world and we can, we can trust in him in that. So, so the, the, the Bible tells us to let our light shine. And how do we let our light shine? In the same way, in verse 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Well, initially, like in my heart, like, wait a minute, I thought we were supposed to do things in secret. I know in other places it says we should do things in secret because we don't want to take the credit. Okay. First century Christians did crazy things that just stuck out to people, and they could even do it in secret. Like the idea of the Good Samaritan, of the, the one who's cast out and downtrodden on the side of the road that everybody just walks by. The Christians are the ones that took people in. When people didn't want the babies that they had, they just threw them out. It was the Christians that gathered them up and said, we're going to raise them at our own expense and, and care for them. And then even down through the ages. Why is it that when you encounter some hospitals that have been around for a long time, there's a reason that the hospitals are called Good Samaritan or 
the hospital of the good shepherd or St. Luke's or St. Matthew's or go down the list. Why? Because it was Christians who said, when there are people in need and sick and hurting, we need to help them. We need to give out of our need so that they can be helped. Why does the world, how, the, the world's affected by, by believers who say, we're gonna open up our home. Known people have opened up their home, have people come live it. Why would you do that? That's kind of awkward and uncomfortable. Well, because of what Christ has done for me. I'm just aware. You're poor in spirit. We're aware of the great gap there, and we're aware that Jesus met that need. So I'm going to meet that need mercifully. What does it say to the world when, when we open up our homes and say we're going to adopt children that nobody else wants to adopt? The world goes, why, 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 would, you take, why would you take a child that... that that, that mom doesn't know who the dad is and she was strung out on crack and cocaine and who knows what's gonna happen to that kid and they're gonna have lifelong issues that are gonna be a problem for you. We have the Christians take those children into their home as Jesus brought us into his home. We were all jacked up and messed up and, and, and sometimes we're straight up pain in the neck. And yet Jesus is patient with us. And so as believers have done that, I've seen believers do that in, in this church and other places that I've been, it, it screams to the world. I've had the privilege of sitting in a courtroom where the judge is sitting there and it like doesn't have a category for what they're looking at. All these people coming to support and a family that wants to welcome a child in when all they see is just people who are showing up to cash in for some reason. You think the light shining? I've seen the light shine in a courtroom. I've seen believers have influence with social workers in a way that others couldn't have. Why? Not because they came up with some effective way to communicate the gospel. They've just been loving Jesus, and Jesus has changed them, and so it changes the way they do stuff. It changes the way we spend our money. It changes the way we spend our time. We want to be dependent on Christ because we can't do this. We're not going to try to muscle it up. Because, brothers and sisters, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A lot of us come in and we're, we're just aware because the world, it's getting dark out there. It is getting dark out there. So this, this, though, it is a call to be encouraged to go forward, but it, it's a call to be encouraged of what God is doing and how God is working in you. So when you are tempted to struggle, remember that Jesus said this in John, or, or this was said of Jesus in John 1, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So even though you may feel the darkness closing in, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You will have an effect because of what he has done. 
And if you're here this morning or if you're watching online and you've never trusted in Jesus, hear this was also said about Jesus in John 1. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You can become a child of God simply by believing in him by trusting in his name that he came to save you from your sins. You repent of your sins, you turn to him, you ask him for forgiveness, and he will forgive you. And he welcomes you into his family. It sounds too good to be true, but that's why the gospel is good news. And you can be a part of the family. Friends, if you, if you want to know, well, how, is, there, is there a thing I can do to shine my light brighter? Yeah, I'm sure there's practical ways to share the gospel and things that you can do, but here's what I, what I see is the experience of Christians who, who, who press into Christ. They have the experience that, that Moses had. So as Moses came off the mountain, as it says in Exodus 34, after he'd been in God's presence, this is what happened to Moses. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses. Behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Friends, just as you press into Christ, as you humble yourself before him, you're going to have this effect. Because I know the light is already in you if you've trusted in Jesus. You're going to have the effect. You're going to shine the light. You're going to be effective. And so we just need to find ourselves in the places where the light can shine. I really believe that the church is going to have a greater impact if we would simply stop and take the time to spend with those who don't know Jesus. If the first thing that we would talk about with them is not about what we think needs to happen in the news or in the political landscape, but the first thing we talk about is, hey, tell me about yourself. Tell me about why you think what you think. Tell me about where you came from. Tell me about your joys and concerns and your pains. Help me to understand who you are. Get to know them. Be praying for them. And then watch God work. Because of what Jesus has done, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And I'm excited to see what God is going to do. Let's pray. Father, the, the temptation after, after spending time in this passage is to focus on what we need to do. The, the enemy just wants to come and and bring condemnation. Ah, you haven't been doing that. You couldn't answer that question. That's the enemy talking. Father, I ask you to come and meet us right now. Just, just settle our hearts 
And as we sing, whether we're seated or standing, Lord, would we just savor Christ? Would we trust that you are going to work through us? And I pray right now and ask God that you would work through the saints who are here. Lord, I know I can recount stories time and again where mercy has been extended, where others wouldn't know, but people have been cared for, people they don't even know or people that they do know, or simply just seeing the difference. Lord, I pray that you would work in us that which is pleasing in your sight so that we could display your handiwork. And the things that we do, Lord, though we, won't, we don't want to get praise for them, I pray that unbelievers would see them and that, that would give them, they would be moved to give you glory. Not because we're special, but because Jesus is. And we just thank you, God, and I ask that you work in us and reassure us, strengthen us to be aware that you are at work. And Lord, would you give us the taste to see the work that you're doing by seeing others have the light turn on for them to come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus and would it spread. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, feel free to, to stand and respond in song or just to respond by praying and, and seeking the Lord as you're seated. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.